Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pot, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department. I'm your host again, uh, Ian Lewins, one of the consultants there. Um, And today, having thought about our previous podcasts, which have been sort of fairly non-clinical or less clinical, actually we're going to return to a very clinical podcast today. Um, And having in mind that many of our doctors in training are changing over shortly and some will be coming to do paediatrics and neonates some coming over to do gp i thought it'd be a really good time to talk about something that's very relevant to them something that that they often get very nervous about and that's doing the newborn baby check Um, and to help us today i'm very pleased to be joined by uh, jane lewins who is a neonatal advanced clinical practitioner based in nottingham good evening jane Good evening. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Oh no, thank you for inviting me. Um, so I did baby checks several hundred years ago and hated doing them because there were just so many to do. Um, first things first, are they still called baby checks? No. So now they're called the NIPE exam, which is the newborn and infant physical examination. And that changed probably about five years ago, became a, five or six years ago, it became a government-backed screening programme uh, and it's now a database so when you do your NIP exam rather than just fill in the red book um, it's, it's inputted on a database. So right so that's that's a fairly significant change from when I used to do it whereas you just you did your check you filled the red book in and, and off they went. Yes. So this is a totally it's a different system now. Yes so it's the NIP smart system but you still use the red book so you do your examination pop it on the computer and then you print off the paperwork and that goes in the red book. Okay, so let's talk then through what people coming into this will want to know is the why we do it, when we do it, and sort of importantly how we do it. So what, what's the point of the NIPE check? So the reason that we do them, it's uh, aimed really at reducing morbidity and mortality by picking up um, congenital abnormalities that may present in the first 72 hours of life. And then you have that further screen with your GP around six to eight weeks. So the idea behind it is any congenital abnormalities you would expect to see in that early infant period, um, this reduces the risk of those being missed. Okay. And people coming into paediatrics who are doing these for the first time get very, very anxious of, I'm going to miss something horrendous and the child's going to go home and come back really poorly. But the this is a screening test, isn't it? And that's it really is, important. and I think that's something that I always stress to parents, that um, whilst it feels like... Um, if I say you, you, the NIP exam's fine, your baby can go home, it, they feel that that's it, baby's not going to have any problems. And I always say that it's kind of a snapshot of how they are now. If you go home and babies develop problems with feeding or become unwell for any other reason, then you can't just say, well, he passed his NIP, so he'll be fine. It is just a snapshot of how they are at that point and whether you're happy for that baby to go home with their mummy and daddy. And it's, so you're not guaranteeing them perfect health for the next 18 years because I've done the baby check. You're no. saying at that point in time, things are fine, but lots of safety netting as well. Yes, absolutely, yes. And then, of course, you've got the GP one at six weeks, which will, will sort of is similar, but, but yes. may capture other things yeah. as well. And there's things that, whilst they may not be um, a problem that you think will affect the health of the baby at that point you could flag up that actually your six-week check just get the GP to check this as well make sure that they're happy with this so you have that safety net when you're sending a baby home if there's something you isn't a problem but you want them just to double check they have that second check at the GP okay so that's the why okay when now in my day you couldn't go home unless you had a baby check 
which is why the poor SH, neonatal SHA got bleep constantly to say, this mum wants to go home, you've got to come and do this now. Is that still true? There's still an element of that, um, but there's been a, a change in that practice. So the idea is that babies need to have this NIPE examination before 72 hours of age. Majority of these babies will have them done on the postnatal ward, but um, there's been such a push to uh, sort of um, midwifery-led neonatal, um, sorry, midwifery-led care that babies often will go home around the six, eight hour mark and don't go to postnatal wards, will stay sort of in the birth sanctuary or wherever. Midwives are trained to do NIPES now and it's part of the midwifery training programme, so all qualifying midwives from next year will be NIPE trained. And that's to try and allow babies to have a quicker discharge. And there's also NIPE clinics that run in the community. So if babies are discharged, uh, if you feel that baby is well and the NIPE exam is holding them up, then babies can go home with an appointment to go to the NIPE clinic. It's just important to stress that they will have to take their newborn baby out sort of 24, 48 hours of age in order to have that done. But there are that possibility as well. Okay. So we're not quite getting as many. This is a six-hour discharge. The champion at the bit because actually they can go home without the, the yes. newborn check at the moment. Yes, and most of the babies that are born within sort of sanctuary and those kind of midwifery-led care placements tend to be low-risk pregnancies, so it's not a baby that would be flagged up as a, having a neonatal alert or whatever. So these babies are generally perceived to be well, um, so are happy for those babies to have a clinic um, NIPE. Okay, and, and I think that's what a lot of parents choose to do, isn't it, is go home and come back at their convenience rather than mm-hmm. having to wait for, for, for you. Okay. I think the problem that you'll find with postnatal wards is they're so busy and all ba- we have a lot of transitional care as well that sometimes it can be four, five, six o'clock in the evening that you're going home. So that's why some parents, if their baby is well, will choose to do a clinic. Because realistically, on, on your, in your workload, a well baby check is probably quite low down versus the transitional care babies versus all the other thousands yeah. of other things you've got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so it gives parents that greater flexibility, I guess. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's the why, that's the when. The most important bit, I guess, is is the how. And what we're going to talk through is just an, you know you, the normal things you would expect to find on a newborn check and how you'd go about it. Okay. So how would you start? So I always start by um, reading through the mum's notes. Um, have an idea of what the pregnancy has been like, um, if there's been any complications, look at the growth scans and things like that. And it's you need informed consent from the parents, so it's something that I would always involve parents in. So if mum is busy in the shower, then I wouldn't do that NIP, I would wait for mum to come back. Uh, and then start just getting a bit of information from mum, how she's been in a pregnancy, if she's had any health problems, any medications she's been on. And any kind of family history problems that are relevant. So there's four themes, really. There's lots of things. It's a head-to-toe examination, but there's four main themes that we check um, for congenital problems. And we ask parents if there's any direct family history with things like heart, um, mm. hips, um, eyes, and uh, and then the other fourth element is the testy and scrotum. Okay. So we'll, I always ask parents first and kind of have a chat with them about how they've been in their pregnancy and get an idea of, of any problems that, you know, I need to be more aware of when I do an IP exam. Do parents have to give sort of written consent for it or is it an implied it's assent? It's implied, with, yeah. With... So you need to just explain what it is you're doing, 
um, why you're doing it and if they're happy for me to do that exam. Okay. And did parents ever say no? I've, I've never had a parent right. say no. I don't know if they feel they can't. I think most parents, if somebody's going to say, I just want to make sure your baby's well, would be quite happy for you to do that. Okay. All right. Okay, so a bit of a background read. Yeah. Which is probably more than I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm completely honest um, read the notes, check through mum's history check through the family history and then you go and have a look at this delightful child yes, so I always start head to toe um, and um, so the first thing you come to is the head uh, babies can often have um, instrumental deliveries with one tooth or forceps so I always check the scalp uh, see if there's any bruising, any swelling any marks um, look for the fontanelle, you want to feel the fontanelle, make sure it's not bulging or sunken, that it feels like a normal fontanelle, check the suture lines and make sure they're not fused or gaping, so those sorts of things I'll look for. Um, and then uh, kind of move down, look at the face generally, the appearance of the face, look at the eyes, look at the, the ears, make sure they're kind of where they should be. Mm. Um, then I will... Um, Look at you. Sort of want to make sure that it's symmetrical. Mm. Um, um, moving down, then sort of check for the the jaw. Make sure the jaw looks normal, uh, not too small. Things that might stand out to you as being a, an obvious problem. So I just have a general look at the at the head, and then. And these this is sort of for kind of dysmorphic features, isn't it? Yes. That's, so you yeah. So you're looking at the shape of the eyes, the position of the eyes. If there's epicanthic folds, if they're slanting downwards, if they're almond shapes, they might just sort of trigger that there might be a um, a, gen, a genetic or you know chromosomal issue with the baby. So I just check, just generally have a look before I do anything. How the baby's lying and the posture and things like that. And again, you know, when babies are fairly newly born, they're all sort of squashed anyway. So you really, it is sort of grossly obvious things, isn't it? It's yes, not the absolutely. really subtle things that a geneticist might pick up no. weeks later, isn't no, it? No, absolutely not. And uh, yeah, it's just a just a look and see. And I think if something jumps out at you at that point, then you might think, oh, I'll get somebody else to look. Because normally it's very difficult with newborn babies to pick anything up. Okay. Um, like that. Okay, so that's head and yeah. face. What's next? So then, whilst I'm on the head, I'll look at the eyes. So this is something that um, is one of the important themes of the newborn exam. And um, so I want to look for uh, the eyes itself, if there's any discharge, any um, redness. Um, sometimes if the, the sclera, the white of the eyes is red, then that's an indication of infection. So have a good look at the eye. You can sometimes, with birth trauma, get some conjunctival bleeding. Again, that's something that I look for to see if there's any evidence of that. And then you want to check the red reflexes. So that's a really important check that we do for babies. You want to make sure that both eyes have a red reflex present. And the absence of that can sometimes indicate cataract or uh, retinoblastoma. So if you can't see a red reflex, that has to be a senior review. And then uh, from that point, decide what would happen. Okay, so if you, your red reflex is absent, you're not trying to make a diagnosis no. per se, you're just sort of saying, actually, I flagged this up as a, this is a not yeah. right, you might get somebody else to have a look, and then if they go, I agree, then you're kind of looking at an ophthalmologist to have a look yes, at them. Yes, absolutely, yeah. so you wouldn't say to parents, this is what yeah. I think the problem is, you would just say that um, I can't see the red reflexes and it's very difficult with newborn babies their eyes are a bit puffy they don't open their eyes for you 
um, that actually it's sometimes just a mechanical thing and then somebody else in a darker room holding the baby differently will see the red reflexes. So I wouldn't want to worry parents, it's very rare. It's sort of one, uh, two to three in 10,000 babies have, a prob- have a, an absent red reflex. So it's not something that you see commonly, but uh, can be more of a baby won't open their eyes properly for me. And... Okay. And you know when you're recording these in the in the, the NIPE or the, the, the red book, are you just sort of ticking no problem tick? Or if, there's, if you detect something, do you physically write it? somewhere so um, when you come back to your smart system and it brings up all your examinations that you've done you'll tick that both red reflexes are present and if there isn't you'll tick no and then there's a comments box and then in there you'll write what your examination found and what your measures are which are normally a, a senior review okay and then when the senior person reviews they then also have to go in and write what they've found. And if they've found it absent, then they will have to do the referral. Okay. With that electronic bit, do, do the parents get a copy of that? Uh, the, yeah, so if um, so, whatever I've written and whatever the senior review has been, when that's then printed off, that copy goes in the red book and the parents will be able to see exactly what was done. Right. And if a referral's made, they'll get a copy of what that referral letter says. Okay. So it's very clear everybody gets that. Because one of the things in ED that we've we sort of get asked to see occasionally is by a midwife is is a child with a subconjunctival hemorrhage and it says this wasn't documented on the baby check and then it's is this present from birth is this occurred afterwards so I guess it's really important if you're seeing something to document it yeah I think um in Nottingham where we are we um have the uh body map and that's where any any marks or anything like that would be documented on. So we have uh, the diagram of the body front and back and also the eyes. And if there was any kind of bleeds or anything like that, we would document that on the body map. Not all trusts, not all hospitals use a body map. Okay. So I don't know how. I think you would have to record it within the smart system, which there's a possibly, there's options to do that. There's notes after every okay. everything that you see. So there's the option to do that. But we would also document it on the body map. That seems very sensible. Um, yeah, and I think there's a, a copy of that will stay with the parents, a copy, the top copy always goes in the baby or the mum's notes so that it can't be added to afterwards. Okay. So it's eyes? Yep, okay, Face. so I've looked at the eyes. Where's next? So I look at the ears, um, look for any skin creases, any ear tags um, that the ears are normally formed, um, there's no deformity. And then I'll move on to the mouth. Okay. Um, so have a good look at the mouth. You want to check for a, clef, a cleft lip. Cleft lip's very obvious to see, but also a cleft palate. And it's really important that we do that examination. This can have um, long-term problems for babies when we miss a cleft palate for their feeding and their development and their speech. And it's always important to do it with a tongue depressor and a light source, not just wait for babies to cry and have a little look in there. Okay. Um, I always use a tongue depressor and a light source to make sure I can see that the palate goes back. Do you stick your finger in at all to have a feel? No. Okay. No. <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> that's, why, that's how you used to do. That's mm. how you used to check for the palate. But it's advised now by the cleft team that you use a tongue depressor and a, um, right. a light source. Um, people have found that the very small ones right at the back mm. get missed yes. if you just stick your finger in. Okay. Look for um, any lumps and bumps if there's teeth or cysts or anything like that. Um, look at the tongue. I always see if the tongue's the normal size, if there's a... Um, tongue tie 
and then I'll check the reflexes as well for the gag and the suck. Um, and again, have a, a good look at the jaw to make sure that that's all formed properly. And then check the neck, um, have a look for any, any extra skin that you see around the neck or any swelling. And then look uh, towards the clavicles. Um, babies that are born, the macrosomic babies, the big babies that get a little bit stuck or shoulder dystocia can sometimes have uh, problems um, with the, the clavicles and um, can suffer uh, like an herbs palsy yeah. where they uh, damage their brachial plexus. So we always have a look for look along the, the clavicles and see that they're even, that there's some symmetry there. It's very slight when you see a, a fracture to a clavicle, it's just a slight dimple. Mm. So it's really important to have a look at them and not just quickly glance. So I have a good look there. And I guess that's that's where going back to mum's notes is really important. To yeah. sort of say, actually, was this a big baby? Was it a difficult delivery? And some yanking involved, potentially, if you're thinking yeah. clavicle and herbs palsy. Yeah, and I think it's... Parent, mums can forget quite quickly uh, and forget to tell you things like that. So I always, I always look at grey scans, always look for things like that to see whether or not baby was big. Um, and so, yeah, so I always check those bits before I move on to look at their arms yeah. and I tend to same with the legs hold their arms out nice and straight and um, you should find that they're symmetrical any skin creases that babies have should be in the same place it gives you an idea yeah. that the, the shoulders are, are even and then move on to um, to the body yeah. to the trunk so my first thing that I would do then is um, listen to the heart okay um, and I'm listening for the rate and the rhythm. Um, baby's heart rate should be anywhere between 90 and 130. And I'm listening for that nice steady rhythm and no added sounds. So I don't want to hear a murmur. Mm. Um, babies, we tend to do the newborn exam after 12 hours. And babies before that time uh, can still have the, the murmur that you have with the transition to extuterine life. So uh, I, try, I want to make sure that that baby doesn't have a murmur. The first line that we do if baby does is uh, explain to parents that most often these are benign murmurs and that it, the, the duct will close itself. But babies then have to stay in until they're 24 hours of age and then you have another listen. Oh, right. And then if the murmur's still there, then it's a senior review um, where they go to the neonatal unit. So is that 24 hours after birth or 24 hours after your first check? After birth. Okay. Yeah, so once they're 24 hours of age, we could have another listen. Right. Um, most common uh, PDA murmur, uh, sort of duct murmurs yeah. have gone by that point. So if it persists, then they'll have uh, just a review on the neonatal unit, uh, four limb BP, we check oxygen, oxygen saturations. And if baby's stable and well and it sounds like it's just a benign murmur, then they go home and come back to murmur clinic Okay. Um, sort of a couple of weeks later. Okay, and that's sort of pre the six-week check with yes. the GP, so it's an additional... Yeah. And I guess you're presuming by that point most murmurs have cleared up. Yes, yeah, okay. by that you would have expected it to, okay. to have... Because there are, of course, there are murmurs and then there's murmurs. Yes. And I guess that's the thing that people most worry about, particularly when they're new to, to paediatrics or neonates, is I find it so hard to listen to murmurs. But actually, the really soft, subtle murmurs are unlikely to be anything significant, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, you, you, it's really difficult to explain, but you hear that difference. Yeah. If it's a murmur that is uh, a concern, 
you can tell the difference. If you can really hear that murmur, mm-hmm. it's a good going murmur, then it's not going to be one that's... And these babies will have that senior review, so it doesn't fall at you. If you hear anything that's, that's a murmur, you, it doesn't matter what category that falls into. Somebody else will listen, somebody else will... Um, will make, double check. Yeah, yeah. double check that and make that decision. And I guess it's one of those things when you finally hear a loud murmur, you go, oh, right... That's what a loud murmur sounds like, that big whoosh, whoosh, and you think, oh, bloody hell, that's, that's what I was listening for. Yeah. Not the, the very, because I think often it, breath sounds get confused with yeah. murmurs, don't they? Yeah, they do. Okay. So any concern, get somebody else to have a listen. Often it's repeated. Yeah. Most of them will be up, up and exciting. When you find something interesting, it's likely to be something interesting. Yeah, and those babies, if you hear if you hear one of those murmurs that you that you're concerned about, those babies will have an echo before they go home. Okay. Um, so they wouldn't be discharged without investigation. Okay. Okay, that's hearts. Okay. Um, and then I will listen to the chest, listen to the breath sounds. You want to have nice, equal air entry, uh, right to left. Um, if you, again, the reason we tend to have that 12-hour mark is if you do your NIPE before, you can still have some fluid in the lungs and hear crackles. And... You can then get yourself confused as to what that sound mm. is. So we tend to try and wait around the 12-hour mark. Um, so your air entry by that point should be nice and clear. Baby should be a nice uh, regular resp sitting sort of between 40 and 60. No increased work of breathing. You wouldn't expect a newborn baby to have recession or to be head bobbing or anything like that. So you'd want to have a nice, restful, uh, regular resp pattern. Okay. So that's what I'd be listening for and looking and checking that. Um, and then if I'm happy with my um, breathing, I'd carry on with my examination. Okay. So I've now got to my abdomen. Uh, I want to be checking that it's not distended or discoloured in any way. Um, baby's tummy should be nice and soft. Um, you, you can have a good examination, make sure that they're not tender, there's no uh, sort of flinching or any guarding when you're examining the abdomen. Um, you're making sure you can't feel kind of any uh, loops or masses or anything like that. Sometimes you can feel a liver edge when mm. you're examining babies. shouldn't be any more than one centimetre. Okay. Um, and that, you know, on palpation, you shouldn't really be able to feel any other um, masses. Check that babies had... The bowels open, they passed urine. Normally within 12 hours, babies should have passed urine. Within 24 hours, should have passed meconium. So if that baby hasn't mm. and it's gone past that point, then I would want to... You talk about feeding and how is baby feeding, baby breastfeeding, is it taking a little while? These babies, I might want to just keep a little bit mm. longer or make sure that somebody's going to follow that up if these babies go home. So do you ideally want these kids to have peed and pooed before yes. they go home? I think I would feel more comfortable with that and also if they haven't and their tummy's nice and soft make sure they're not vomiting um if they are is it mucusy because mm. babies can often have lots of mucus in their tummy and that can be a reason why they're not tolerating their feeds if there's any bile or anything like that then that flags up something else so um so if they haven't had their bowels open and they examine fairly well um not vomiting then i think it's just a bit of time a bit of time yeah surgeons tend to see around sort of 48 hours just to keep an eye on them um wouldn't want to do anything before that okay i guess people or certainly my experience people get asked to see can you see this tummy it looks full 
and lots of babies have big full tummies because they're full of wind. Yes. What what would about a full tummy make you think, huh, I wonder if this is something else? So if um, on examination it's tense, mm. um, most babies will stick their tummy out, but when they relax you should be able to palpate quite easily, um, quite deeply really. So if it's really tense... Um, if it's discoloured, sometimes babies can have a sort of dark, sort of grey-looking abdomens if their if their mm. abdomen's sick. Um, if it's loopy, if you've got bowel loops present that you can see on the surface of the of the abdomen, these are things that would um, flag me to something that, that's probably wrong with this tummy. Um, okay, so tender tenderness is is actually yeah. the main thing, isn't it? A dis- the, not just full, because most of them are wind, but yeah. full and uncomfortable, I guess. Yeah, so normally when you're examining a baby's tummy, they don't mind. No. Um, you should be able to palpate easily, and they don't mind you doing that. And if they're guarded or they're raising their legs, um, that's a sign sometimes that their tummy's hurting. Okay. And that there's something wrong. Okay. Moving on from tummies, what's, okay. what's next? So then I would look at um, the umbilicus. Um, so the umbilicus can give you uh, an indication of how the baby's grown, really. So uh, you tend to find babies that are low birth weight will have quite a, a thin um, okay. cord, and then the umbilicus can look quite thin and skinny. Uh, the bigger babies um, tend to have quite a lot of the Wharton's jelly almost mm. in the in the cord. So if you look at the umbilicus, look at the cord that's remaining, that can give you an idea of how baby's growth has been. But also look at the vessels, um, so there should be three vessels, two arteries and a vein, sometimes one can be absent in certain conditions, so I always have a little look, okay. look for any redness or any smell. Um, when the cord starts to come away, that's around sort of day, between 5 and 15 days of age, um, before then... If the cord's a bit offensive, then that might be a sign of infection. If there's any flaring around the abdomen, uh, the umbilicus, that's a sign of infection. And those babies, you would want to just get someone to look at, and they may need a little bit of antibiotics. But generally, with cleaning them, they shouldn't. When it starts, when the cord starts to come away, mm. then it can be a little bit smelly at that point. But up until that point. I'd have a good look at the cord and make sure that looks healthy. And that flare tends to be sort of all around, doesn't it? Because you occasionally get asked to see babies where the cord clamps rubbed against the tummy. Yeah. It looks a bit red, but flare is, is a yeah, different. Yeah, it, it is different. And you you see that you can see exactly the line that where the cord clamps sat mm. compared to all the way around, and it starts to spread almost if it's untreated. Okay, like a cellulitis. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep, and then um, I'll just look at the genitalia. So with boys, um, check the scrotum. Sometimes you can get a collection of fluid called hydrocel and you can transilluminate that. Uh, I just look for, to make sure really that it all looks normal, that the penis looks like it's developed normally. Check the testes to make sure they're, they're down or on their way down. So sometimes they'll be um, in the scrotum, sometimes they'll be in the inguinal canal. Just as long as they're there, then that's fine. So check that they're both there. And with girls, again, just check that the um, genitalia looks normal. Okay. And then check for the bottom. Make sure their bottom's patent as well. Make sure they've got one. Yes. Yeah, so the olden days. I think in the olden days, the midwives would always put a thermometer up there. So it was always a way that you know. But uh, but now we, we don't. So, again, if you get to a baby that's 24 hours old and hasn't opened bowels, that's the first thing I check to make sure that they're able the to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just going back to the testes then, if you to come across uh, what you presume is a boy, yes. um, and you can't feel any testes at all, Yes. Is that a flag to refer on? It is, yes. So you would need to do a referral for that. I would also get um, a second opinion, get a senior review, just to see if it's just me who can't feel them, because sometimes that's the case. And they can be quite high in the inguinal canal, mm. so yeah, so I would get somebody else to review, and then if they're not there, that's a referral. Okay. And even less frequently, I guess, but occasionally you, you go and you think, hmm, this all looks a bit odd, I'm not sure whether this is boy or girl. Yes. That's, that occasionally happens, doesn't it? That can happen. Uh, it's very difficult, and I think the important thing to um, do in that case is to be honest with parents. Um, it's a really difficult conversation to say to them, I don't mm. know what mm. the sex of your baby is. Because, um, of course, that's the first thing parents always ask. Yeah. Is it boy or girl? And somebody's often said, oh, it's a... Yes. So they can often, at first glance you could say that it's a girl and then on closer inspection think, oh, actually, I'm not sure it is. Um, so, yeah, these babies would need a referral. You'd need to talk to parents and just say, and I think the hardest thing parents find at that point is how do they tell their family and friends, what, you know, and I think that's the most difficult thing for them. It's not something they'll get an answer on straight mm. away either, so it's very difficult. Okay. So genitalia, bumhole. Yep. <laughs> Uh, what's next? Hips? So hips, yes. Um, so hips is another um, theme that comes up with, with as, as an important part of the newborn exam. Uh, and one to two babies in every hundred births will have some um, hip dysplasia uh, or problems with their hips. So I always ask if there's a family history. Uh, have you had previous babies, previous children with dislocatable hips? Have you had dislocatable hips yourself? Um, and also check the presentation, birth presentation. So if babies were breached, then there's more likely to be a problem with the hip development. And then do the hip examination. And the idea behind that is that you want to check that babies have a good range of movement and that their hips don't dislocate or click on the examination. There's two tests that we do. It's... Um, uh, Barlow's and the Ortolani, yeah, Ortolani and Barlow. And the idea is that one opens the hip joint up yeah. uh, and the other you put pressure down, so you're almost trying to slide the hips out. So you're trying to click them out and slide them out. If done properly, that will be able to tell you mm. if your baby has a dislocatable hip. Uh, it's a very difficult test to do, I mm. think. A uh, very difficult test to be confident you get right, have to be on a very hard, flat surface. Most babies are done leaning over their little cots or on the mum's bed. So it's a very difficult test to do, to get an in, a definite result. Okay. We're talking about clicky, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, we used to get thousands and thousands of kids with clicky hips, and they all had ultrasounds, and virtually none of them had anything wrong with them. Have we moved past clicky hips? So at the moment in Nottingham, it's still something we would refer for, okay. but that is changing, and clicky hips we're no longer going to be putting a referral in for. It will only be dislocated hips or babies that are breached at 36 weeks or more uh, okay. of pregnancy. They will then have the hip ultrasound sort of around 12 weeks of life. Okay. And again, in my experience, you know, it's you, you, there's lots of variation of normal. When you feel a properly dislocated or dislocatable hip, and you go, "Oh bloody hell!" It clunks. Yeah, that's what clunk. it feels like. Yeah. And you go, "Okay, all those ones that I've sent to clinic before, yeah, they weren't anything. This is a proper one." Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so, okay. The hips. other thing I would do as well with looking at the hips um, would just be to look at the legs. Okay. So again, with the arms, you stretch the legs out. The fat creases that babies have on their legs should be even, should match either side. And if one's longer than the other, that gives you an indication that one of the hips may be uh, misaligned. Um, so I'd do that test as well, just to make sure the legs look equal. Okay. And when you're saying, what was the sort of rate of... of so uh, one to two uh, babies per 1,000 will need some kind of treatment for a hip Okay. Dysplasia. So, common enough. Yeah. Okay, yeah. one to two per thousand. All right, okay. Okay, and then uh, at that point, um, I'll turn them over and have a look at their back. Um, so I want to see a nice straight spine, no curvature of the spine, and then check for things. Um, you, you can find things that are associated with spina bifida, so look for hair tufts or any dimples, any kind of... Um, uh, tags, skin tags as well. Uh, with a dimple you want to make sure that it's, it ends, that it doesn't, um, you can see the end of it. Um, and it's really difficult with skin tufts, tufts of hair mm. that you see at the bottom, sorry, hair tufts. Because um, lots of babies have lots of hair when they're born and it, it's very furry. This is different. You can, when, you, when you see a hair tuft, mm. it's quite noticeable. It's a sort of circle of quite long hair, not, not the fuzzy sort of hair that babies are born with. Okay. Um, and then, and that kind of is the physical part of the exam. During all of that, I'm checking the skin, I'm checking for any trauma, I'm checking for any birthmarks, any Mongolian blue spot, all of these things would then be documented on my body map. Good. Uh, and explain that with parents. Yeah. Um, and it, it's something that I think... We've had parents that have said, oh, my, my son had those, and nobody mentioned it, and then the health visitor saw them, and it wasn't documented. Yeah. And I always stress the importance of any marks that you see. You discuss them with parents. So some babies will need antibiotics, and they'll often have bruises on their hands or their feet where they've had blood sampling and cannulas. Just to explain to parents that's what it is. I'm writing it on the form so that anybody else who comes and sees your baby in a week's time can say, oh, that's where that's from. Mm. So I document those things. Um, check for their behaviour, see how they're examining, see what their tone's like and their movement. We want to make sure that babies aren't floppy or uh, hypertonic, uh, that the cry sounds normal. Um, and then I check for their reflexes. Yeah, the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, reflexes in the neonate differ from those that um, in children. So, so I think for any trainee that's coming to do Neonates, if they've been used to children, whilst they have um, sort of the knee, bicep, ankle reflexes, they also have some extra ones that you wouldn't see in um, any other patient group. So we check for the morrow reflex, which is the startle reflex. That's the one where you drop the baby, or look like you're going to drop the baby. Don't drop the baby, do you catch it? But you'll have that startle reflex. That's a that's one that we check for. Um, and we'll check for... The, some babies will have a stepping reflex. So if you hold them in an upright position, they automatically step with their feet. And they go, you go, oh, look, he's walking. And everyone laughs. <laughs> yes. And that only lasts for the first week of life, so um, that's something that you'll only see in a newborn baby. Um, check for... I always check that babies are rooting, have a good suck, have a gag reflex, check for their plantar and their palmar reflexes as well. Um, and then uh, I have a, a look at their growth. Um, see what their weight is, make sure I can look on a growth chart where their head circumference and their weight plots, just to make sure that this baby's grown 
symmetrical and there's not been any problem kind of later in the pregnancy or anything that might have affected growth. Okay. So it's a, it's whilst it's a screen, it's still fairly comprehensive examination. Yes. How long does it roughly take you to do everything from the examination and the filling the red book in and the doing the nipey stuff? So you're probably, I think I probably spend 30, 40 minutes doing each wow. nipey. And that's so much longer now with the computer system because you have to tick that you've checked all these things. So mm-hmm. when it was the red book, there was five things and you could just tick, tick, circle, 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 sign your name, that was it, done. And it used to be probably five, ten minutes and you yep. could do them by the bed. Um, but now you kind of have to say that you've checked all of these things. It comes up on the smart system. So when you come to click at the end, so you've done your examination, you're happy that everything's normal, and then you have four pages to yeah. make sure you're ticking everything, that you've checked everything. And it's all the things down to family history and then feeding and all of mm. these things that you've checked to make sure that everything's been investigated, what milk they're on and all of those things. Right. So it's, it's way more detailed than it used to be. Yes, it is, yeah. I'm so glad I don't do them. <laughs> um, so I guess, having done all that, I, from from you having done hundreds and thousands of these, I guess are the top tips document everything yes absolutely I don't think you can um, ever over document I think if you see something um, it the the computer system the, the allows you to put anything you want to down any notes you want to make and I think if there's anything that you think sh- you know somebody else who is new to this baby yeah. would look at and think oh I wonder what that is document it okay don't just assume that the health visitor is going to automatically know that it's definitely a mongolian blue spot yeah. or it's definitely um a mark from having a cannula or something okay um and so document everything and if you're not sure yeah phone a friend absolutely absolutely you get a senior review and babies you can just get something double checked even if you think it's probably normal And I think it's important to say to parents, I think it's probably normal, but I would hate you to go home and then it not be. So I'm just going to get somebody else to double check. I've never known a parent say, oh, I don't want you to. Okay. Because if you suddenly say, it might be, or I just want to make sure that that's okay. Most most parents are happy to say, oh, I want you to make sure that's okay. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And hopefully this will give a really good framework and hopefully some reassurance for those people who feel somewhat anxious and and brand new to this. And give it a week or so, they'll be as thoroughly bored as (laughs) I am doing this. Thank you so much for your time, Jane. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.